Craft Beer Radio, episode 13, September 15th, 2005. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, which is this week the show for Trappist Beer and the Trappist Brewing Industry. I'm Greg Weiss. And I'm Jeff Bear. And like I say, we're doing Trappist Beers this week. Nice improv there. Yeah. We have three of the six Trappist breweries that we are reviewing today, and next week we'll be doing three more. Right. We'll just pick one style from each brewery. Who knows? Maybe we'll revisit different beers from the breweries in the future. It's possible. But we just wanted to cover all six Trappist breweries for these next two shows. And that's what we're doing. Okay, let's including see. this week is a special show because we get what is supposedly the best beer in the world. Ooh, you Ooh. spoiled it. They're going to know. We already told them last week. Oh, oh yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, let's get on to business. Got a couple little things here. Some housekeeping. I wanted to announce that our survey is going to close on Wednesday, September twenty fifth. So this will be your last chance to get in for the drawing for beer. Right. And I'm going to offer the winners. Alternatives, too, like a subscription to Brew Your Own Magazine. I have a subscription I can give away and some other things. So if you didn't want the beer and you'd like that subscription, you can enter and try to get that. Exactly. I wanted to go a little over adding our extras feed into iTunes. Right, because we don't have it on the iTunes list. It's not in the iTunes directory. And a couple people have asked us, so there might be others that don't know how to do this. If you go to the the podcast section of iTunes, under the advanced menu... There is an option for add podcast feed, and it pulls up a little dialog box where you can paste the URL for our extras feed into it. And what you have to do is copy the link from our homepage for the extras. Right. If you click on the uh, subscribe to extras, and it takes you to that page with all the XML on it that looks like just programming code, copy that address out of your address bar and put that into that iTunes box. Right. And you'll be subscribed to our extras feed. If any of you have listened all the way to the end of the show, you notice in the closing credits that I say we would take audio comments in MP3. We haven't gotten one yet. (laughs) Not a single one. So I thought I'd just mention it here and see if it helps. Send us an MP3. Give us a little audio comment. We'll put it into the show. Yes, your voice will be heard by all the Craft Beer Radio listeners. Also, of course, when you get the chance, if you get the chance, please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Many of you have. And we're right up where we were last month. And it helps like it always does. So thank you very, very much. I just wanted to put out our website and email address here because we forget often yeah. to, to promote this. This so, is true. Craftbeerradio.com. And you can email both Greg and I at beer at craftbeerradio.com. That's B-E-E-R. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> On to news, Jeff. News. Good news week. I didn't have to go into just the beer search on Google and find all this crazy, boring macro news. Yeah. We got some micro news this week. Okay. This story is from August 31st, so it's a wee bit old, but not that bad. Belgium's Duvel is going to brew Omegang Ale for the American market. Omegang's Abbey Ale is so popular, they can't keep up with demand. Oh, I see. Duvel has some sort of interest in Omegang. They're part owners or, Mm -hmm. or something like that. So to increase capacity, they're actually making the beer in Belgium. And shipping it to the United States for United States distribution. I do remember when we have done Omegang in the past, we've noticed, is Omegang or Omegang, by the way? Not sure. Pronunciation gate, it strikes again. Rears his ugly head. We noticed that their their uh, barrels were very low. They had a small amount of barrels they were releasing every year. This article goes on to say that they've already 
increase their production by 40% and they still can't keep up. Just so you know, the beer from Belgium is going to be in the 750 milliliter bottles. The 12 ounce bottles of the Omegang Ale is still made in Cooperstown. Okay. I've seen mostly from Omegang, Omegang, the 750 milliliter bottles. Randy Thiel, the brewmaster, said that he has mixed feelings about this because he couldn't brew it better himself. So it's not like the stuff from Belgium is going to be a cheap knockoff. The only thing it doesn't have going against it is the transportation across the ocean. Right. So you're going to get fresh stuff from Cooperstown, but you're going to get just as good quality stuff from Belgium as long as it's transported properly. Sounds good. The next piece of news is about the World Beer Cup and the Craft Brewers Conference in Seattle. There was going to be a snafu where each brewery was going to have to pay a $200 fee for every label entered into the competition. That, that can add up. Yeah. Especially for small microbrews. They need to get their stuff out to Seattle. Then $200 for each brew? That right. can be ridiculous. If they have eight brews there, that's... Yeah, it was some dumb liquor control board law, which we all know how great those liquor control boards are. Yes. They worked a compromise where I think they're going to classify it as a banquet instead of a festival. So then each brewer just has to pay for a $10 permit. I hope that doesn't affect anything else about the festival. Uh, slash banquet. Yeah, I don't think so. The, uh, the liquor control board needs to vote formally on it, but I think it's pretty much agreed upon that's how they're going to do it. So the uh, 2006 World Beer Cup will remain in Seattle. Hooray! Okay, we had a couple of people requesting that we announce seasonal released beers. I haven't done too much of that yet because it's kind of hard to put that list together. I've been working on it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try to sign up for every brewery's mailing list and try to manage it that way. I'm going to get a lot of mail. Right. We have Dogfish Head's fall releases here. They are, for September 1st, we had the Pumpkin Ale and the Raison d'Extra. Now, Raison d'Extra is a yearly... No, Raison d'Etra is a normal beer. Raison d'Extra is 20% alcohol. Oh, okay. Same beer. With a lot more stuff yes. in it. Twenty percent. So it, it it's the sixth strongest beer, I think, in the world. Wow. For October, they're putting out this year's batch of hundred and twenty minute IPA and their Midas Touch Gold Elixir. hundred twenty minutes not a yearly? It must come out vintage wise. Huh. They make enough so it's always available. Right, right okay, it looks I like. See. But it's released October first. For November 1st, we have the Worldwide Stout. Their Pangea is November 15th. What Pan- is Pangea? Pangea is a beer. I haven't had it yet. I have some in my cellar. It uses an ingredient from every continent. Huh. You know, from like they're all back together. Right. Pangea. Yeah. So it uses some sugars from Africa and it uses some barley from America. It uses some hops from England, you know, Europe, right, stuff right. like that. So we'll have to try it sometime. I have a bottle of aging downstairs. Interesting. So was it just a strong ale? It's um, Belgian. It's an interesting, yeah. strange type of beer. I'm not sure if it uses Belgian yeast or not. That yeah. would pretty much make it a Belgian a Belgian because of all the character it would impart. But it's probably a pretty sweet. I know there's some kind of sugar in it from Africa, I think. so, huh. Or maybe Australia. That same day, the old school barley wine comes out. That's an uh, interesting beer. It's called a barley wine, but it tastes like an imperial IPA. It has a very grainy hop flavor to it. Huh. I like it a lot. And what I thought was interesting, you know when they used to have all their the wood-carved fish for their tap handles? You know, you never you think they're all the same, but the old school was very rough cut. Like, it was like, just like a very squared off fish. Really? It was kind of funny that, you know, they, <laughs> it was neat how, then I noticed, oh, the different tap handles do have different characteristics I to see. them. 
now they have the metal fish that are all the same because they couldn't make as many wooden ones, so it's kind of sad. As they get more popular. And the last beer on December 1st is their Fort. It's the is, fruit beer. It's, it's uh, fruit They had beer. that at the Extreme Beer Fest. I unfortunately didn't get a chance to taste it. It's a 18 to 20%, I think. Yeah, it's, it's strong again, yeah. and it's their fruit beer, exactly. I'd like to try a bottle or two. I don't know if I'd be able to get a case of that stuff. We have a link on our website that uh, goes to Dogfish Head, or you can just go to dogfish.com, and on the top right of their page is where they have the list for the seasonal releases. The next news story is something I got in an email just yesterday. The Brewers Association, or the American Homebrew Association, excuse me, if you're a member of that, you probably got, might have got the email too. There's a new book out called Brew Like a Monk, and it's a beer history book about brewing Trappist monk style, you know, Abbey style beers. You had to be pious? I don't think you have to be, <laughs> but it probably doesn't taste as good. Yeah, probably not. But anyway, if you're, the book will be available soon to everyone, but if you're an American Home Brewer Association member or a Brewer Association member, you can get the book now. And for a discount, you can get it for twelve fifty. We have a link on our site for that as well. And the last piece of news we have is um, news we've been saying all year, but it uh, was just released again. The Brewers Association continues to report the near little over 7% growth of the craft beer industry. And this is good news because the beer market overall hasn't grown. It's mm-hmm. flat. There was another bit of information in the press release where a uh, data collector, RSI, Collected some stuff from August 9th to the current date. Our IRI. IRI, I'm sorry. Craft beer is up 7.8%. Wine is up 9.3%. So we're losing to wine. About 7% Well, we're not spirits. losing the wine. I right. mean, it's not a, not well, a race. Right. Yes, it is a race. No. <laughs> spirits is at 7%. And again, the beer market is flat. It hasn't grown or shrunk. So... Looks like craft beer is taking market away from macro beer. Which is exactly what we want to happen. That was interesting news, and we move on to emails. And we do not have any real pronunciation gate this week. Is that correct? I don't think we do. I the think one, we came out unscathed. Yeah, the one thing I did want to mention is is we when we were researching uh, the Travis beers, we had a pronunciation guide. And one of the beers they mentioned was the Belgian White, uh, which we typically called... Hogarden, which, which I've always heard everyone call it Hogarden. And according to this pronunciation guide, it's Hogarden. Now, I, the first time I'd ever heard it like that, that's what the pronunciation guide said. I'm curious if any of our listeners have heard of that as well, because that surprised me. Andy uh, says, uh, we need to try Polner's Oktoberfest. I think we wanted to, we didn't get to that one. Yeah, we couldn't find Polner's ever anywhere. I think I saw it at D's. I thought we already had it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's my fault. But it was also, it looked like it was out in the light for a while, too. Okay. It was kind of wary. He also wanted to mention that it is possible to get spaten in bottles that isn't skunked. I'm sorry, spaten. Spaten. <laughs> spaten. Yeah, I'm, I'm just pronouncing. Now we're going to have a pronunciation game. Yeah, there you go. Spaten in bottles is not skunked. Just got to check the dates and the packaging. And make sure it's just in closed If it's boxes. in a closed case, you know. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, Skunking happens when beers get light struck, so. Right. Second email. Darren from the UK. He wanted to point out that a UK barrel is different than an American barrel. So we had measurement gate this time. Measurement gate, exactly. <laughs> so he told us that a UK barrel is 36 imperial gallons, around 164 liters. So a UK barrel is 43 US gallons. Interesting. Thanks, Darren. Got an email from Jamie from the Brewing News Publications. He wrote in, he was concerned on a survey that I said, your local brewing news. And he thought people might be confused. Two of them aren't brewing newses, they're brew newses. 
So I just wanted to mention here what they were, uh-huh. and hopefully there weren't too many people confused. We have Yankee Brew News, Mid-Atlantic Brewing News, Great Lakes Brewing News, Southern Brew News, Rocky Mountain Brewing News, Northwest Brewing News, and Southwest Brewing News. So if anyone was confused and didn't vote, you can drop me an email and we'll, we'll fix it in the uh, survey results. Okay. Well, we can't really fix it for their particular email. We can take it into account. Yeah, okay. Dave from Colorado says he's been interested in beer judging for a couple of years now, and his homebrew club has over a dozen BJCP certified judges and runs classes almost every year. He's looking forward to getting to some, some of those beers that we reviewed and tasting them right alongside the show, which we think is a great idea. If you can experience the beers that we're tasting too and sort of compare your notes to what we're tasting, we think that's great. We'd love to hear your opinion on beers that we've tasted. If you agree with us, disagree. Right. He thought it'd be a good way to hone his tasting skills, descriptors, by hearing what we were tasting. Well, I mean, we're no. not BJCP <laughs> right. judges, so we're just ta- we're, we're we're kind of playing a little bit by ear. We haven't taken a class or anything like that. We're just sort of taking what we know about beer and extrapolating what we're tasting. Right. So if you're using us to hone your skills, we m- might be leading you in the wrong direction. Right. So just be aware of that if you're using us right. to help learn how things taste. <laughs> now, I'd love to learn more, and if there were classes in our area, I'd love to take them. Our homebrew club, my homebrew club, does have some classes, well, and I've been thinking it. about starting to take it. Yeah. And now that I got this email, I've been thinking a lot more, so we're going to look into that. Absolutely. So if we can hone our tasting ability, then that'd be great for you guys and for us, too. Robert from Ohio. Great show. I heard you mention the fridge could be used as a beer cellar, but flavor would not change. Why is this? Is it because of the humidity conditions or something, or because of the temperature? I have an old mini-fridge that I store beer in and keep it at right at 55 degrees. Is this sufficient age, or should I search for another means? Yes. Now, why is it that keeping it in a fridge or a chill chest doesn't doesn't allow it to age as much? I think his question was because I wasn't really clear okay. last time we talked about this. I said when you keep the beer in the fridge, it's not going to change. I was assuming you were keeping your fridge for food at like 38 degrees or whatever you keep a fridge at. Uh-huh. When it's that cold, the yeast go dormant, and the beer just doesn't stay. There's other things other than the yeast, but the beer just stays the same. It doesn't really age like it would in a cellar. Now, with Robert, who has this beer cellar temperature fridge, that is more than ideal. Mm-hmm. That's going to keep the temperature constant. It's the right temperature, so the beer will age nice. It's a great cellar. I did tell him there's one thing he needs to be careful about. And, you know, the compressor in the fridge, it takes humidity out of the air. Right. If you have a corked bottle, it could dry out the cork and cause it to leak. So air could, you know, CO2 could get out, air could get in. From what I've heard, most of the corks used are a synthetic type of cork, and you don't have to worry about those drying out. But it's still, I guess there's still a risk there, so I wanted to mention it. Could you tip it over on the side and keep it like like to do with wine bottles? From what I've heard and from what I've read, that's not as recommended for beer because of the oxidation oxidation factor of the beer. There's more sur- when you have it laid on side. There's more surface area right. touching the gases in the bottle. Mm-hmm. When you have it upright, it's like the size of a dime or maybe a nickel. I see. So it's a trade-off, and everything that I read says the trade-off is don't oxidize and don't worry about hydrating your cork with the beer. Okay, good information. David wrote in a, a nice, interesting mail about Guinness. He wrote about how he felt that Guinness that tastes different. We, we noted, I think it was last week, that Guinness tastes different 
in Ireland. America than it does in Ireland, or, or we've heard. And he says that it's mostly based on how you pour it. I don't know enough to know whether that's true or not. It sounds reasonable, but I, I have had very professionally poured pints of Guinness. The perfect pint. Right. And it doesn't seem to really be all that much different from normal. I mean, we haven't tried the Ireland one, so we don't really know. Uh, it, it could be that, that pouring it really wrong makes it really bad. <laughs> I can see how that might be the case. As far as Guinness being a completely different beer, lager or other, that's where he was talk- we were talking about yeah. how it's a pale lager and they add the Guinness essence to the beer to make Guinness. He says he doesn't buy it. All the Guinness that is kegged is brewed in Dublin. I've heard that before. The Guinness cans and bottles are a different story. They're brewed throughout the world. And he says here that the Guinness Extra Stout, the one that's not with a widget or anything, comes in the glass bottle right. with the yellow label. Mm-hmm. He says that's not even brewed by Guinness. It's brewed in Germany. It says it's right on the label. I wasn't aware of that. He says everyone who's told him the Guinness tastes nasty have been people that drink the Guinness Extra Stout. I like Guinness Extra Stout. I, think. <laughs> I, I don't think it's that bad. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's a big difference. It's not nitrogenated. It doesn't have the same kind of pl- flavor profile. So a little bit more roasty, I think. There, it's been a long time since I've had it, but it, it's not it's as soft and, and creamy Velvety, as, right. as the Guinness Draft is. So interesting <clears throat> stuff here. Uh, Bob from Massachusetts is happy to report that Victory Beer is widely available in Massachusetts. Though only typically Hop Devil, Prima Pills, and Golden Monkey. Well, Hop Devil and Prima Pills are very excellent beers. Golden Monkey I'm not that huge a fan of, but it's a good beer. Yeah, we got an email yesterday or today. It was after I prepared this email list of um, someone from Indiana. I'm sorry I didn't write down your name. And apparently you must have said, coming soon to Indiana as well. Now, two things here. The victory fact sheet we got for the Victory Oktoberfest, I pulled off an old show because I forgot to get it. So the coming soon's seem to have come. I checked out Victory's webpage, mm-hmm. and they have all the states that they have listed as available now. And I might have made a mistake, or you might have made a mistake somewhere along the line, because it's available in Illinois, but not Indiana. So maybe I typed I-N instead of I-L, or Indiana fell through. Maybe they said it was coming to Indiana and it fell through. I don't know. Yeah. So. so unfortunately, it's not available in Indiana. I will right work now. much harder at having up-to-date information for these shows from here on yeah, out. You ought to be ashamed. Last email, John from Pennsylvania had a question about home brewing. He's looking to get started at home brewing, has a basic starter kit, glass carboy, bottling bucket, etc. Uh, what I don't have is a kettle large enough to boil five gallons. Can I boil the wort in a two gallon kettle and add three gallons of cold water already to the fermenter? Now, I think the answer to this, and correct me if I'm wrong, is yes, but. Exactly. <laughs> yes, but. It's, it's great for a beginning home brewer. A lot of home brewers start out this way. They have a big soup pot, but not a five gallon pot. So you can do it. It works fine. You don't need a word chiller. If you add chilled water to it, you mix the volumes, you get the right temperature in the end. It's a great way to do it. There are two downsides to this. First downside is you don't get the same kind of hop utilization you would get with a full volume boil. You're, vo- you're boiling a much denser wort because right. you're adding more water to it later. And the denser it is, the less hop boils, alpha acids are going to isomerize into the wort. Okay. So you're going to need more hops to get it as bitter as you want it to get. So when you do a whole gallon, whole five gallons, it's less dense. There's more volume there. So you usually can use less hops to get to that the bitterness that you I desire. See. I see. Second downside is that when you chill the beer with a chiller, the wort, I'm sorry, with a chiller, you get what's called a cold break. 
and proteins fall out of solution and sink to the bottom of the pot. So you don't get that in your fermenter. It, it's just a desirable aspect of brewing beer. Mm-hmm. You'd like to get the cold break. When you pour the hot beer, hot wort, into the fermenter with the cold water. Or ice. Or ice. Yeah, you're going to get the break in the fermenter, so you're going to have that protein sitting in the fermenter. Now, neither of these two aspects are going to make bad beer. But they are things that you'll see as you start homebrewing. You're going to want to modify and eliminate mm-hmm. to help making, you know, just changing your process. You're going to want to do it right. You want to do it as good as you can. And these are two things you're going to change down the road. But, but it's a good way to start. Exactly. My first batch, I did the exact same thing he's doing. Cool. Second batch, I borrowed my mother-in-law's turkey fryer, so I was able to boil a whole volume. I remember that turkey fryer. Okay, that's all we have for news. Okay. Well, I can't wait for this one. Turning it all the way to number 70, which is... What, what beer am I? I? Wonderful. <laughs> okay. We had uh, a listener email us who said that he really didn't like this segment. And what I meant to email him back saying, oh, you know, okay, we understand it, but just curious why. Because it, there was no real reason why I didn't like the segment. I just didn't like it. And so I'm curious as to what it was he didn't like about it. Oh, good point. So if, if you don't like the segment, we'd love to hear why. Maybe we can improve that thing that's wrong with it. Or if it's just you hate it, then I don't know, skip it. Skip past it. <laughs> yeah, good point. I haven't thought about asking people why. And good customer service would do that. So. <laughs> But uh, we've gotten a lot more positive feedback lately than we have yeah, negative. Yeah, that's true. So the people who don't like it, yeah, we are curious why. Winners from last week's show, Andy, Corey, Scott, Bob, and Adam. The answer was Gumball Head. From Three Freud's Fluent Company. Yep, it's American Weedo. A little bit of information here. I never had that one. I have not either. I hope to have it sometime. I don't think we get Three Floyds here, do we? I found it one time at one store in town. Wow. I don't know how it got here. It must have just appeared on the shelves or something. Magic. So, you want to do this, or do you just want to have... Jeff had... Okay, let me just tell you what happened. Jeff had taken... We, we just... He wanted to do something different with the clue, and he took from a listing online what somebody felt it tasted like. And I just felt that's really not the best way to go about giving you guys a clue because it's a very subjective thing how someone tastes a beer and trying to interpret that into what the beer is seems a little bit crazy although it does have hints inside of the description right. which is where some of it comes from but i think that some of these could apply to almost any beer okay how about we just do it and see what they say or okay or do, you, or do you just not want to do it <laughs> well since you don't have anything prepared you might as well just do it okay yeah i couldn't come up with any traditional clues. I had, I had what beer am I blocked today? So this oh, week's clue. Okay, well, yeah, go ahead. Pitch black with a dark tan head, big smoked wood nose with some coffee aromas as well, even bodied with smoked wood and fish profile, but not overdone. Very robust and dry, grainy with some interesting cigar, plum, cedar flavors. Finishes slightly dry and quite sweet. Now, I knew what it was immediately once I read this. But that doesn't necessarily mean that other people are not are going to say something are not going to say something different. One of the things that Jeff wanted to mention, and but I'm mentioning it now, <laughs> so it's kind of crazy that I said that. But Jeff is starting to have a little bit of uh, what beer am I? Like he said, block. So if you guys have an interesting idea for what beer am I, send it in to us. We'd love to. Yeah, write us the clues. See, the problem I'm having is the interesting beers that have unique characters are from a lot of regional, locally available breweries. Right. 
and I don't want to do that because I actually had a complaint about that. They didn't think we were doing beers they could, were accessible to them. And so I'm trying to find beers that are nationwide or around the country and finding a unique thing about them. And I had a bunch of trouble today coming up with one. So let's open it up to the listeners. Let's have them send in Absolutely. a beer and the clues for what beer am I. And we'll try to use them as long as we think that we'll have a reasonable yeah. response rate on it. A reasonable uh, rate of somebody getting it right. So, but yeah, but definitely. And if the clues are like, I'm less filling and tastes great, <laughs> not sure if we're going to use you or not. I'm the champagne of beers. Ooh, sounds good. <laughs> Moving on to the main attraction, which is Trappist Ales. Trappist Ales are a style of beer. It's actually, the name is defined by who brews them. They need to be brewed by Trappist monks, Mm -hmm. and they're all in Belgium. You can only be a Trappist monk if you're in Belgium. I don't know if that's true, but all the Trappist breweries are all in Belgium. Okay. There are other breweries that make Abbey-style ales that similar styles and everything, but they can't use the name Trappist because they're not a Trappist monk okay, or an abbey that has Trappist monks in it. The The six breweries that we're going to be tasting over these two shows that are these Trappist breweries are Westmall, Westphalatron, Chimay, Rochefort, Orval, and Ockel. And they brew these beers in order to pay for their lives, basically. Sustain, yeah, to sustain their lives as a monk. It's not made to be big profit. We talked about uh, West Philatron stopped making beer right. in the past because yeah. we thought they were getting too pop. They thought they were getting too popular. The story was misreported. They were taking their summer vacation, but <laughs> they don't do it to to make tons of money. They do it to sustain themselves, mm-hmm. and they make some of the world's best beer, the most tasty. As beer. it turns out, these six breweries we're doing three of those tonight, right? Right tonight we're going to be doing the Orval, mm-hmm. the Akel. And the West Philatron. The other style of beers that are similarly characteristics but are can't be called Trappist beers are typically called Abbey Ales uh-huh. or Abbey Style Ales. Abbey Ale is a term associated with beer brewed by the non-monasteric types. So you could have a commercial brewery in Belgium. It could even be in a church or an abbey, but you're not really a monk. Right. St. Barnabas so, is an example of this, where when we were looking at beers, you thought that St. Barnabas... Was an Abbey Ale. Well, it's it, named it, after a saint. Well, it is an Abbey Ale. I just thought or, it was a Trappist Ale. Yeah, a Trappist Ale. But it's not, wasn't labeled Trappist, so it, it, it's not, of course. It just it was in the same area when I was buying the beers. Right. So I, you I might get confused yeah, as to which ones are which. So it's only these six breweries. Yeah, yeah I could have fell for that, too. If you would ask me to, before I did all this research, if you would ask me to name them and I saw St. Barnabas, I probably would have. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably one of them. So it can be a little tricky. All right. Well, let's move on to the first beer. Okay. We're going to do the Orval Trappist Ale first. Now, we should mention that these six abbeys brew about 20 different types of beer altogether. And some of them brew only one beer. Some of them brew a couple different kinds. But they only have about 20 different beers that they have. Right. So we're just doing one beer from each abbey. Right. And Orval is one that they only make this beer. This is their only beer they make, a 6.2% alcohol by volume Belgian Pale Ale. It should be available just about... Everywhere, Merchant Duvin is their importer, and they have countrywide reach, and they have distributors in a whole bunch of countries. I didn't write them all down. If you go to their website, which is orval.be, uh, you can get a list there. I mean, they're in Japan, Australia, New Zealand. And like I say, this is a Belgian pale ale made with Bavarian Hallertau. 
Hallertau, I'm going to say, and we're probably going to get corrected on that, and the Yugoslavian Styrian Goldings. Uh, and they use a pale malt and a small portion of caramel malt, and it's pouring a nice caramel color, as it turns out. The We've, glassware we're using tonight, we're using oh, yes, some goblets. Chimay goblets. Which, I, I don't have a uh, goblet for each beer we're drinking, so we're using the Chimay goblet. A uh, goblet helps to uh, get the aroma all like coming right up on your face, which is good for these Belgian ales that have a lot of aroma characteristics to them. This is a heavy glass bottle. It is quite heavy. But that's the, not the, the beer. The bottle itself, without the beer in it, is, is pretty heavy. Getting sort of a caramel and whiny aroma off of it. A little bit of that sourness that yeah. I associate with wine. Just a slight bit of... Yeah, it has a little bit of a, a tannic smell to it. A um, little grapey, yeah. tart tannin type smell to it. But the beer itself is pretty clear. With, uh, like we say, a, a caramel color. The smell reminds me a little bit of the Kolsch's that we had. Remember how those said they had a tannic grape flavor too? Yeah. Just this one's more powerful, and there's more f- aromas to it, but it has a little bit of that. A little bit Kolsch type smell. And the tannic taste is there too. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of sourness to this. Yeah, it's a not quite a tartness, but it's uh no, it's not drying like a tartness typically is. It's it's, it's it has sort of a wet mouth feel. Hits you right in the tip of your tongue and the sides of your mouth with this sourness. It's, it's a sour slash bitter. It, right. It actually took me by surprise when I drank it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting something so powerful with that sourness. Has a heavy carbonation feel to it, but light mouth feel overall. A little bit of hoppiness, a little bit of that Golding's hoppiness coming in the back of my mouth near the end of it. We should talk a little bit about the brewery, the Orval Brewery. Notre Dame d'Orval has a long history of destruction and reconstruction, they say. Yeah, you, you really need to look at their website if you want to learn about their history. I couldn't copy a couple paragraphs to put it on our fact sheet. I mean, it's through all the wars. Like, they were ground zero for, like, everything from the Middle Ages on. What's interesting is that they say that, that uh, the single beer they produce is probably the driest of the Trappist Tales. This doesn't feel that dry to me. Well, that... that that tartness, the tartness, kind of tartness. But it's, I mean, you, like I say, when you expect a tart, you expect something drier than this. It, I guess it's drying up a little bit more as I let it sit. Well, compared to the tongue. beers we're going to be tasting, too, doubles, triples, yeah. quadruples, they're all really sweet beers. This surprised me because it's much, it's much more like, a, like a Rodenbach or a or a Petrus than it is. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a Belgian a, pale ale. It's not just a sweet beer; it has some complex. It's those flavors that are unpleasant until you're able to explore right now jeff and i really like sour beers so this is i mean this is very tasty i think that for someone who doesn't like sour beers who wasn't ready for that kind of taste this might not be their prime consideration yeah a lot of these beers especially when i first started drinking them like the first time i had the rodenbach i wasn't expecting it and when i tasted vinegar 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 and i'm like but then as i got to explore the flavor more i really started to find the little nooks and crannies that i really enjoyed and it's, this is one of those beers where you yeah. have to get around the sourness to find what you like. A lot of, like I say, a lot of hoppy bitterness is coming near really the back of your tongue, and the sourness is coming up front. Nothing is really there in the middle of your tongue. Orval gave us some drinking guidelines mm-hmm. for this beer on the website. Beer is a refined drink. In the same way as wine, it must be stored away from light. It must be maintained at a temperature between 10 and 15 degrees Celsius, which is 46 to 56 Fahrenheit. 
it should be served at the same temperature in its special glass. <laughs> so since we're but drinking it in a Chimay glass, maybe that's why it tastes sour. Yeah, I'm sure that's if the If it was an Orval glass, it would taste like heaven. I like the sourness. I, I did too. I didn't yeah. mean that it doesn't taste like heaven now. It would just taste so much better in its uh-huh. Orval glass. One should taste the sediment of the beer separately. So That's uh, an interesting statement right there. What does that exactly mean? I think after you enjoy most of the beer, probably should have left a little more in the bottle. Mm. Then we could taste the yeast. Yeah, pour a little bit back in. Like we said in, in the pre-show, uh, neither of us have cooties, so I think we'll be okay. Pour a little well, bit. Let me go get a funnel. Okay, that's a good idea. Jeff is going to go get a funnel. Because we, what we want to do, and I get, I wonder if that's the same for all of these beers, whether they all want you to experience the yeast with the beer, like like a Hefeweizen, where you want to bring the yeast in there. And I really don't know the answer to that one. Notre Dame d'Orval began brewing prior to the French Revolution, uh, and that was one of the first big destructive events in the monastery's history. So that sounds... Uh, Quite interesting. And Jeff kind of has a makeshift funnel here, which is a, a small plastic bowl. But that'll do. And now he is carefully pouring it down. This is very interesting commentary for all our listeners, I'm sure. As he is carefully pouring it back into the bottle, losing a little bit along the way, but it should be. That was okay. successful, I would say. That was a successful pour. So there was a bunch of sludge in the bottom of this bottle. Yeah. So we're going to get it all suspended here. We're going to set that aside until we finish off our chalices. Mm. Yeah, once you get used to that flavor, it really becomes enjoyable. A bunch of, I just tasted a whole bunch of new flavors in there. I'm getting almost a little bit of black licorice. Yeah, there's a little bit of the alcoholish flavors coming back or coming out at you. The alcohol warming. Yeah, it, it certainly surprised me when we first had this beer, the sourness in it. But it, once you got used to it, like I said, once you could explore that sourness, mm-hmm. it became a really deep beer with lots of interesting flavor yeah. to it. This is good. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to drink the yeast-laden sample. All so right. I'm going to do a little bit more. Now you would expect this would be a lot... Uh, well, with this kind of beer, it's tough. You know, with the yeah. bison, it gets a lot more clovey and peppery. I don't know exactly what we're going to get with all the yeast out of this beer. Holy brown. <laughs> hmm. Not quite enough in here to get a good sense of aroma, though. Still getting more of that tannic flavor or, or smell, aroma. Yeah, it's, it's little sample's kind of hard to get the aroma yeah. from. It's actually lighter on the sourness with the yeast in there. No, we poured it back in with a plate, blah, blah, blah. So it yeah. lost a lot of carbonation. It's not as yeah, it's not as sour. It's more mellow with the yeast in it. Well, you're getting more of a bready taste. I think you're getting some of that. Like I said, it, it, this beer pretty much skipped the middle of your tongue in terms of flavor. We're getting some breadiness on the middle of your tongue with the yeast in there. I agree. I concur. Do you concur? I concur. This is good stuff, as we expect all the Travis beers should be. And we're going to move on to our next one, which is the Ockle. This is, you know, frankly, we don't quite know because the 
the label doesn't really say. Well, we, if, know, we know it's the Aqual 8. Right. Because they have Aqual 5 and Aqual 8. We don't know if it's the blonde or the brune. I. Well, let's open it up and find out. <laughs> it's going to be a tell. surprise. Well, the brune is, is a double. Yeah. And the, and the and blonde the, is a triple. Exactly. If it's a double, it's going to be a little bit lower alcohol, a lot fuller body. It's going to be a darker f- color, too. Triple is going to have a light body, a little bit more carbonation, higher in alcohol. It'll be a nice golden brown. Got to open the bottle first in order for us to find out. Oh, that's a good sound. We have it. The cap was a little bit smaller than a normal American crown cap, so my bottle opener was not looking to grab the root lip. This looks like the double. Which I'm happy with, except our sheet is for the triple. Right. So our fact sheet's going to be a little bit off. The Abbey of Aquil is dedicated to St. Benedict, who is the father of monasticism, which I guess is uh, the monk's, the whole monk thingy. The Aquil Brewery is a relatively new brewery. They only started in 1998. They brewed previous to World War I, but during the war, the Germans took their brewing equipment. That's too bad. In 1998, they sold some farmland. The Germans took away their brewing equipment in 1917, World War I. Yeah. That's what I said, didn't I? I think so. Okay. But I was just surprised to see it again. I was so surprised I had to read it twice. Oh, okay. In uh, 1998, they sold some farmland to get some money to buy a new brew house. And I get a real caramel smell out of this Very sweet smell. Yeah. Not so much roasty as it is sweet. Very, very sweet. Caramel flavor, definitely. Mm-hmm. A little bit of sugary, more than more than just caramel. Yeah. The nose is pretty much dominated with a sugary-type smell. Mm. Belgian sugar. Very sweet and <laughs> inviting flavor. Did we say this beer sweet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, velvety texture. Uh, the color of this beer, uh, we should mention, because we always forget to do that, is... A darker caramel than the one before, or of a sort of a tan. I'd say darker than tan. I would say it's a light brown. Light brown. Oh, just slightly light brown. Uh, head on it is uh, a thin head, just a little bit of remaining around the top and the edges. Very cloudy. There's a lot of stuff sort of uh, suspended in here. You didn't really suspend the yeast, but or go through a, a yeast movement, but there's definitely yeast inside of it. So it looks good. Like we say, the taste is very sweet, but inviting. Yeah, it, it's not overly sweet. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's um, under-fermented or anything, but it has a lot of sweet character there still. There's a bit of an alcohol warming coming in the back. Don't really get much in the way of hoppiness, but that sweetness is coming up front and sort of traveling along the sides of the tongue to the back. There's a little bit of alcohol warming yeah. to it. This would go really well with food. Really well. That sweetness tends to accentuate a lot of the flavors that you get in food. It certainly would. A lot, a lot of the, the... It's so caramel and sweet that it would go a lot with... A lot of things we talked about before. The barbecued chicken mm-hmm. and uh, other kind of slightly charred meats. Even something like a burger, this would go really, really well with. Burger with a fine Belgian Trappist beer. It yeah. just doesn't sound right, does it? Well, I mean, I... At the place, the Sharp Edge, uh, which is the the Belgian uh, beer bar, beer bar near where I work, they have a good selection of different burgers there. And I tell you, a Belgian beer with those burgers goes fantastic. 
really, really well. Just not what you expect to think when maybe, you're... Maybe. I mean, because you're, you're thinking, you know, maybe hamburgers aren't necessarily a Belgian thing, but... Right. It really goes so well together. But the together. characteristics they match should together. Yeah. The charred meat, the, the, the caramel in this. Mm-hmm. The, the, the bread, the cheese in, in a burger. Well, I'm happy that uh, we grabbed the double for this one. This yeah. is tasty. It's uh... I'm trying to figure out what... Because there's, there's a couple layers of sweetness there. It's not just one type of sweet. It's not just sugar. Well, we should say, being a Belgian double, there is dark candy sugar Mm -hmm. in the beer. It's one of the ingredients in a Belgian double, where a Belgian triple uses clear candy sugar. Right. You know, I'm starting to get some of a little bit of hot bitterness in the back of uh, my tongue and the roof of my mouth. It almost, mouthfeel-wise, it's reminding me of, I want to say like a barley wine or an imperial stout or something like that. I think that sugar-wise, it it tastes like a... Strong the sweetness is similar to a barley wine, although it's a little bit more pronounced at the same time being less syrupy than a barley wine slightly the the aroma that I'm smelling now it it, it it's again it's reminding me slightly of a barley wine mm-hmm. definitely uh leaning towards the malt end of the spectrum yeah really hard on this thing definitely this is this is the maltier of the two obviously and I'm very curious as to see what the next one, Ooh, the, the next big one, one, is going to taste. But we still have more of this to go, so we're going to keep drinking because this is these have both been very tasty beers. I've not been disappointed. On our website, I have a link to an article that Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, the beer hunter. Hee <laughs> <laughs> hee. I don't think he'd appreciate that. Mm, probably not. <clears throat> Michael Jackson, the beer hunter, wrote a nice write up on Ockel right after they opened, and I li- I'll link to it from our website. It's an interesting read. You should go check it out. Mm, that was so nice. I drank it up just like that. Jeff still has a little bit to go in it. I'm trying to really describe the sweetness because it's hard to pinpoint. It doesn't really have much comparable in terms of candy that you can think of or some sort of sweet like ice cream or cheesecake. It doesn't have any of that kind of... Yeah, it, it's, it's its own kind of sweetness. Yeah. It's really... That's why it's... For us, it's our job to describe it to you. It's really hard. Uh, get some mackerel yourself and give yeah. it a try. Because I, mean, I guess if you wanted to boil it down, first one sour, second one sweet. Exactly. <laughs> this is the Aqual 8 Double. Some of their other beers, they have uh, Aqual 5. Now, the numbers are the percent alcohol in these okay. beers. So this one's 8%. The other triple, triple 8%. Does that make sense? Should be more. I mean, typically they're stronger, but maybe it's an eight percent with a, a lighter style, right? And then they have the fives. They have a blonde and a brune. No, they don't have a twelve. The fives. Did I see a twelve somewhere? No, on there? I didn't see one when hmm. I was looking it up. The Aqua Five Blonde is a Belgian pale ale, like the Orval that we had, right? Even though the Orval, I wouldn't say is a it good really... example of a Belgian pale ale. Yeah, like, it, it was it's different. more of an example of a uh, a, a sour ale or, yeah. or something like that. And then their Aqua 5 Brune is a Belgian dark ale. And again, their Belgian 8 Blonde is their triple. Very nice. Well, I think it's time for the main event, as it were, which is... Did we mention that uh, this is the best beer in the world? <laughs> the next one. Yes. It reminds me of the uh, the Tenacious D song, the greatest song in the world. <laughs> 
This isn't the best beer in the world. This isn't the best beer in the world. It's a tribute. <laughs> but actually, this is what is called by two beer sites the best beer in the world. Both Beer Advocate and Rate Beer call this beer the Trappist Westphalatron 12, the best beer in the world. This is a quadruple from the Westphalatron Monastery, uh, who is the smallest of the brewing abbeys. And this one is not available anywhere. The only place you can get it is in Belgium. When I was running to the fridge, I heard you say that it was the West Valetran Monastery. That's not technically true. Okay. A lot of these ones are named after the town they're in. So the town is West Valetran or, or something along those lines. The brewery, which I'm going to really screw up here. Okay, it's Browery West Valetran, but the, the abbey is St. Six... <laughs> Six Tusabdij. Six two sub dish, yeah. Yeah, we're we're calling a timeout on pronunciation gate here. Yeah, it doesn't count this week, so you well, can't. Send you can tell us how to say it, but you can't knock us for not saying it right because <laughs> you wouldn't just... be able to say it right either. <laughs> uh, the, we think the brewery started in eighteen thirty-one, although we haven't been able to get a confirmation on that number. The websites were pretty good, but they had tons of history and a lot of you know these old breweries. They didn't really have a... Yeah. They didn't put the dollar bill on the wall saying when they sold their first beer. Right. <laughs> so it's a little confusing. And it's really hard when I have to fill out these beer fact sheets for the show for foreign beers, international beers. They don't have the same kind of websites that right. all the American craft brewers have, which have all the information that I normally need. <laughs> so it takes a lot more hunting to find what I need for these beers. So oh, we what? think it's 1831. And there it is. The West Valachian 12. That's kind of a nondescript bottle there. I guess it had a, a paper covering on it. It um, came wrapped in paper. The West Valachian bottles, they don't, you don't need a label to sell the beer in Belgium. So they're only identified by the cap. Hmm. Now this is a very dark, which you know it makes sense because it's a quadruple. Very dark, but not quite black. Sort of a dark brown. Uh... Pretty close to opaque, but not quite. Small head on it. With a, a slight sweetness in the aroma, but not much coming up. Has a bit of hop in the aroma, too. It's not quite as tannic as that Orval that we have. Yeah. But you have a dry aroma with a bit of hop in it. That's pretty good. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's a quadruple. I haven't had very many quads. It reminds me a lot of a Belgian strong dark right. ale. Has a dry finish to it. It has a dryish finish to right. it. It has a lot of uh, malt in the center. Alcohol warming around the back. This one's ten point two percent alcohol by volume. A strong mouthfeel, full. A little bit of hoppiness reaching the back too. Some of the same sort of malty sugariness is coming through as well. The best way I could describe this one, because this is there's a little bit of bitterness too coming in sort of the sides of the tongue. If you think of the stones, the really really strong beers like the arrogant bastards and stuff that kind of over overpower you with taste, that and something like that, but really drinkable. Yeah, it has a lot of flavor. It is. Um, <laughs> I know drinkable is not a word that some of you like, but I mean, it really is smoother than those 
strong, aggressive beers, while at the same time being a pretty aggressive taste. This is a, a beer where you definitely want to take a small sip of it mm-hmm. and then breathe in over your tongue and a couple times until just enjoy the aroma because you're going to get as much fun out of that as you are drinking, Absolutely. actually tasting the beer on your tongue because it leaves a really lovely aftertaste and aroma on your tongue afterwards. So I take a sip and then I breathe in a couple times right over my tongue and I'm still tasting different characters. There's of different things really... coming through. There's a little bit of a cherry, some of a, almost smoked cinnamon. There's a definite sweetness that's kind of hiding mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. When you said cherry, I was thinking like raw cherry, like yeah, a little bit no, torture. Dark I'm taking cherry, like yeah. a, like a candy type cherry, just a little bit with that sweetness tying in with it. But you can see why this beer is rated so high. As to whether it's the best beer I've ever had, it's a difficult thing to say, and it's not something I'd be willing to just say. Oh yes, right away. It's right up there. It's a tribute. Yeah. <laughs> No, probably no one knows what song I'm talking about. <laughs> this is uh, well, we don't we don't mean to say this is not the West Valley Trail because that's what this is. Yeah, but the the question is, do we consider this the best beer we've ever had? Is like other people do, and I would put it up on my list. I don't know if I, I don't know, I don't have a list really that I say this is number one, this is number two, this is up there though. Yeah, it, it's definitely on the top tier. Mm-hmm. Now, this one is more complex. You're getting more different notes out of the flavor. It's not just overpowering you with sweet like the aqua was. Right. And it's enjoyable. And it's going to be gone way too fast. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I think that, you know, that part of it is part of the reason why it's rated so high is because of that complexity. Because there's so much there, you can concentrate on so many different flavors. And like I say, unlike some of the beers that, like Stone, which I know you really do like, and and I have said before, I kind of tend to shy away from a bit. This one is the same sort of flavor profile, but it's less in your face. It's it's less beating you down with it, and it's really sort of letting you enjoy it more than I I believe. That's an some of the more excellent way of putting it. it. It's not forcing its way in your front door and saying, mm-hmm. "Here, love me." It, it's it's ten percent, but it's subtle. And you have to go looking for this to, mm-hmm. to enjoy this beer. And it is changing now that it's warmed up a little bit. And we're, mine's almost gone. I'm sad. <laughs> I do have you, one more bottle. You got a whole other bottle, so you're okay. Yeah, but I'm not planning on drinking that for five years mm-hmm. or so. Yeah, I've been taking it very slow, giving it little sips. It's very enjoyable. I definitely want more of this. <laughs> it certainly hides the alcohol. It does yeah. not taste like a ten percent alcohol. Although beer. I can taste, I can taste the alcohol warming. I don't think it hides the alcohol you know? that much. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, this is what I think some of the brewers like Stone are trying to get to. Okay. And in, you know, this, this brewery's been around since eighteen thirty-one. They've been perfecting this style. So here's a question for you. And I don't want to get too off topic, but you keep bringing up stone. Last week in our after show, we had the Yeti Imperial yes. Stout, which was crazy flavor, crazy everything. True. Almost like how the Stone Imperial Stout was crazy everything. Well, yes, but. <laughs> which is one of my favorite phrases. Well, I want to hear your yes, but. Cause... Okay. I sort of felt that. And I, I take Stone the task a little bit too often because I think that Stone 
kind of overplays their hand a bit. I feel that the Imperial Stout from Great Divide, there was a bit of that, okay, I'm shoving stuff at you, I'm shoving flavor at you, but it was it was a little, I don't know, it had a little bit of a mildness to it, a little bit of give, whereas the stone is just kind of throwing it at you okay. all the way through. I know that's probably not a satisfying explanation to some people, but I felt that the Yeti was more indicative of what I want out of an Imperial Stout than the Stone IPA was. Okay. Or a Stone Imperial Stout was. I'll give that to you. I was just curious what your opinion was because they're both crazy flavorful Imperial Stout. What you expect from an Imperial Imperial Stout. Part of it may have been that we were tasting other not quite as powerful Imperial Stouts at the same at the same time. <laughs> Jeff's just touched a little bit of the beer to his nose. I was trying to get some aroma out <laughs> and I stuck my nose in the beer. They say I'm breathing up my nose. <laughs> get a whole new flavor that way. And I think that, you know, when we were doing the, the summer release stout show, we had some less aggressive stouts and then that one was kinda like boom throwing everything at you. Maybe if I had, if we had a whole show just dedicated to Imperial Stouts, I may have found more. But I just I felt that the stone was almost a bit too syrupy. Okay. A bit too much like taking Coca-Cola syrup without putting any of the carbonated water. Okay. You know? Well, I still have the opinion I want to I want snow on the ground before I drink the stone yeah. again for sure. Yeti probably I'd say the same thing, but it was just so enjoyable mm-hmm. when I had it that it I could make the exception, so My wistful atron's almost gone, and there's a tear <laughs> forming on the inside of my eye. <laughs> now, I don't mean, like I said, I don't mean to really berate Stone that much because they're a popular brewery, and I have had more than one beer from them that's been very good. But I feel that their aggressive beers aren't to my liking. Understood. Let's get back to the beer at hand. Yes. The best beer in the world. <laughs> It's moving up on my list slowly as I finish it. <laughs> it has a lot of fla- enjoyable flavor. It's not overpowering anyway. There's really like if you try to pick something you don't like about it, it's really hard to find something. Yeah, there's a bit of a, almost a brandy-like flavor kind of coming in the back of my tongue, sort of floating there alongside the alcohol. Moment of silence for the West mm. Atron as I finish <laughs> mine off. Now all I have is the aroma and the aftertaste to enjoy. I think, like the alcohol, it's it's got that sort of velvety texture to it, which really yeah, it's really smooth. Yeah, this one was definitely the least carbonated out of all the beers. The alcohol didn't have much head, but it still had more carbonation yeah. flavor than this one. And typically, alcohol and carbonation seem to be inversely proportional to each other. The more alcohol you got, the less carbonation. And you know, it seems that way in a lot of beers. Especially when you're getting up over 10%. I can see that. Although... Worldwide Stout and 120-minute IPA are very low carbonated. The uh, Raison de- Dextra, I've never had. How much carbonation does that have? I don't know. I've never had it either. <laughs> I've had the Raison d'Etre, which is a little bit too much for me. It uses brown sugar and green grapes. Yeah. And I, I don't no, raisins like, uses... I'm sorry, green raisins. I'm sorry. Green raisins. And... The Dietra isn't one of my favorite styles of beer, but I definitely want to try the yeah. extra just to see. And I might not like it, but I'll definitely appreciate it for what Sam Calgione is 
putting in bottles over there in Delaware because it's just crazy stuff. Like this is my last sip here. That is an enjoyable beer. So definitely the best beer of the night. Yeah, it's hard to say it's not. I mean, it's definitely yeah. the best beer of the night. Best beer in the world. It, it would take me more. It, I haven't frankly had enough beers to say. Is it the best? And also, I can't say it's the best beer I've ever had with among the beers I've had. Right. But it, it, it and I don't think I can pick one that I can say is the best beer I've had. It, so, it's a lot of pressure to live up to, yeah, too. Yeah. But you figure on both those sites, it's best beer in the world because of a cum- cumulative rating system. Right. So, I mean, I would rate it very high. So would I. So everyone rates it very high. It's going to rise to the top. Yeah. So it's not like every single person said, this is the best beer in the world, it's but it's just best- cumulatively... So many people rated rate it high. There's really nobody who rated it poorly, and you can see why. Exactly. There is no flaws in this the, beer, really. The, I mean, the only person who I can think of would not like this beer is a person who just doesn't like any beer other than Budweiser, that sort of thing. Who just who who doesn't appreciate beer at all. Right. So it's not that it's extremely outstanding. It's just lacking flaws. Yes. I, I exactly. I think that's a perfect way to put it. That's how it ranks the best beer in the world on mm-hmm. both those sites. And I'm very happy to have tried it finally. So am I. And I'm happy to have shared it with all the listeners. Absolutely. So other than the West Flation, which is the top, how would you rank the other two? Oh, that's tough. They are so different. They are very different. And I like them both for different reasons. So did I. You know, that's the thing about And that I expect that will continue on. I think I'll put the Aqual second best. And, and the, the Orval is third best. But the Orval is hardly bottom of the barrel yeah, beer. Yeah, I, I think I would do the opposite. I would put the Orval and the Ockel. I, okay. I, I like sour beers a lot. And I liked the complexity I was getting out of the souriness. Um, and I felt that at times, I mean, this, it, <laughs> the Ockel was very good. The Ockel was awesome. Well, but, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. you know, you're saying that about the Ockel. I'm saying, I'm thinking that about the Orval. Yeah. You know, we had to pick an order. I put the sweetness and the carameliness of the aqua above it, but I loved the complexity and sourness yeah. of the Orval. And I and love the sweetness. Pick the I opposite. Just, yeah, uh, you know the, the the beauty of these two shows, I think, is that these are all going to be very good beers. Exactly. And so it's going to be hard, you know, to put it in order. But West Flatron wins this round. Woohoo! <laughs> all right, thank you everyone for listening to Craft Beer Radio. We'll be back next week with part two of our Trappist Beer Extravaganza. We hope you enjoyed it. We will be doing Chimay Grand Reserve, West Small Triple, Rochefort 10. So thank you for listening and tune in next week. See you next week. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. If you have any questions or comments, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. And feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. Our intro and closing music is Lameface by Feeble Wiener. You can find a link to Feeble Wiener on our website. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Hey!